Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me at Scavendish on Twitter. Please rate, review, subscribe, smash the subscribe button, please. We'd love you to. A little, yes, we would appreciate it. A little different show today for you guys as we end the year, considering the news in the city over the last week and a half or so since the Christmas Day bombing. So our guest today on the program, or I should say my guest today on the program, uh, is Holly McCall, the editor-in-chief of Tennessee Lookout, a, a local news organization. I wanted to get a sense for how an organization covers uh, such a dramatic and serious and in real time unfolding events in our city. So it's not really sports related. We'll have some fun sports discussions here on the front end. We'll talk about whether or not you can say coach to people or not. That's a, seems to be a debate that Nick Saban and other media people have created for us. So thank you for giving us that, that holiday talking point and discussion point. <laughs> um, we'll do that, but uh, we'll talk with Holly McCall coming up in a little bit later on. And Steve, you are not on uh, that conversation because um, you're sort of not allowed to be on the show this week. You're a very busy, oh, man. And if you want I'll, to explain to people why you're sort of I'll, not, I'll be listening to the interview just like the rest of you. No, uh, I, I'm. I've been working for the New York Times this week, uh, covering the bombing uh, and sort of aftermath. And it was just. I, I don't need to be commenting on it. I, I just. It, it just seems like it just seems much cleaner that way. Uh, and. Yep. Uh, I look forward to listening to your interview with uh, with Holly. Yeah, just again, it's all about just when something like this happens, which is so rare. What is it like? I mean, she tells some really interesting stories about her photojournalists who did a fantastic job to get down there, you know, as quickly as possible to try to get shots out to the world so that people could see what was going on. How does she decide from an editorial standpoint what to cover, what to go after, how to fill in the, the, the blanks around other news organizations, how organizations work together. You know, obviously there's a lot of collaboration going on right now. Um, so it's just a little different today on the show, uh, but I think you'll enjoy it. And I think it'll give you some really good insight as to sort of how the media, you know, should handle something like this. So let's, let's go a few lighthearted topics here, Steve, <laughs> before we get let's into go. Before no bombing. We, before we talk to Holly, then we got some recommendations after the interview. So trying to give you as normal a show as possible here uh, during the New Year's holiday. No television ratings, really, but I can tell you this later on, Steve, uh, NFL football. Yeah, it's still popular. People still watching? People still are watching. Shockingly enough, people are still watching NFL football. So the ratings are a little complicated. Now, I want to kind of start there just so people don't know. Radio ratings, for example, during the month of December, it's called the holiday book. And for people that care or, or are interested, it is your advertising rates are set on the other 11 months, not the month of December, because people's listening habits are very bizarre. You're in and out of town, you're traveling, you're listening to Christmas music. So just, uh, just kind of one of those like, hey, if you didn't know about this industry, radio ratings don't actually count in the month of December. It is called the holiday book. And if you, um, if you look at every major market in the country, and if you look at their top 25 stations, there's inevitably one station that is not in, not rated very high that for the month of December will be in the top five because they transformed their programming to all Christmas music all the time, which, hey, people still love Christmas music. So <laughs> I, I'm about done with it <laughs> at this stage. Um, now, we do have a lot of Christmas records. We got the Holly Dolly record for my two-year-old, which is her first record. We've got Casey Musgraves. We've got John Legend, really good Christmas album. We got Reba. We got a lot of the classics. So we don't. I don't mind spinning some Christmas music at the house for a little while. But I do get to about the like I get to the 27th after Christmas, and I look at my wife and I'm like, No, I think we're done with that. Like, let's go back to some rock and roll. Okay. Yeah. 
Tree's got to come down. Music's got to go off. Uh, is your tree still up? Uh, it is. Ours that is, is still up as well. That is, a, that is an indication of laziness on our part more than anything else. New Year's Day morning is traditionally when we, when we bring it down. Plus, the lights are nice on New Year's Eve, you know? If you got kids that's, and you're stuck at, stuck at home. That is, you know? that is such a sign that you're a dad now oh, yeah. that, that you can get up on uh, New Year's morning and take down a tree. I have not. I don't think I've made it to, like, central time New Year's Eve in, like, a, in like two years. So you so. cheat, you watch the East Coast, and you oh, fall yeah. asleep? It's great. Yeah. It's wonderful. Very comfortable <laughs> in my dad bod. Um, all right. Uh, other conversation before we get to Holly. And again, we'll have some recommendations for you guys a little bit later on after the interview to try to maintain some semblance of normalcy on the program. But I, I, th- this coach thing came up and Adam Vingan of The Athletic, he had a lot of comments on it on the Gold Standard. Check out that podcast. We argue about line combinations if you're into that kind of thing uh, this week on the episode. But I think it is fascinating because I have fallen into this trap for most of my career due in large part because I worked with coaches as co-hosts and everyone in their life off of the air calls these people coaches. So this started with, I guess, a, a, a reporter in covering Alabama. And, and I guess somebody said hi Saban to Nick Saban at a press conference, which isn't necessarily what I would do. Um, but Adam, for example, Steven, I'll get your opinion on this. Adam is very, very passionate that you do not call anybody coach you do not put the coach on the pedestal. You call them by their first name. You call them, you know, Mike for Mike Vrabel, Peter for Peter Laviolette, John for John Hines. Uh, you know, I call Gary Smith Gary, but I've also, in, in a familiar setting, used the phrase coach for most of my career. And this, this, this reporter guy, I don't, again, I don't have his name and I don't really care, but he it was basically... A, it was a broadcast reporter based out of Tuscaloosa. And, and he said, you, you don't... You don't refer, you call him Coach Saban as, I guess, a formal title. And I guess the discussion is, Steve, what do you think of the use of coach in a press conference setting, in an interview setting, in a personal setting? Do you differentiate between those three settings? What is the right approach thing to do here as, again, lamestream, judge, jury, and executioner on all things critiquing media? Well, I, I do think that, I do think Adam's right. I mean, Nick Saban is not my coach. So uh, I wouldn't call him coach. I'd call him Nick, Mr. Saban, Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. I mean, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't, I just, I just don't think that, that it, it's appropriate to call him coach. He's not my coach. The only person I think I've, I've ever kind of consistently called coach is, is Rick Bird, but he was my, he was the coach at Belmont when I was there. So I was just so used to it. So for 20 years afterwards, I, I, I called him coach. And I think if I ran into him today, I would call him coach, but I think that's, that, that's a, that's a personal sort of exception there. I, for the most part, I would not call somebody coach. It's just not, it's just not who they are to that person. And I think I, I'm curious cause you, you go to Belmont. I'm assuming, I'm assuming you covered the team while you were there. Correct. I did. We went to a few NAI national uh, championships when yes. we were there. It was great. So you probably did a few press conferences with him. And I think when oh, yeah. you're and I, I do think when you're younger, there is this it, it, it's it's much more difficult when you're 22 and you're talking to like a 55 year old who probably makes a ton of money and is like in charge of everything for you to say, Rick, you know, like I could see how that would be difficult for younger broadcasters, reporters, journalists to sort of say that. And I again, I am guilty. I will be I'll put my hand up and say I've been guilty of this my entire career. We have people on and I always kind of. I kind of go back and forth between first names and coach. My, again, my excuse is that I've worked with a lot of coaches that were a co-host of mine and saw how they interact. And everyone called them coach, like off right. the air, 
right? Like their buddies called him coach. Their friends called him coach professionally, non-professionally. It was sort of like a, like an informal, you know, kind of name for somebody. And so I kind of fell into that. Like I worked with Houston Nutt for a very long time and I just constantly called him coach. You know, I worked with Lou Holtz, which is awful. And I constantly just called him coach. And because that's what everybody called him off the air. I have now, as I've gotten older at 38 years old, I now try my best to say their first name because that's who they are. And I think it's a lot of it's because I'm experienced, I'm older, and I've learned from maybe my young, not, not mistakes, but just sort of like, again, you're, you're on equal playing field. They're all, we're all just dudes. We're all just humans, men and women just doing, trying to do our job. I, I think that as a younger journalist, uh, particularly I mean, in my case as a student journalist, you're, you're emulating the people that, that you're watching. I, I do think it's more of a habit to, for that some people call whoever they are coach. I, I don't know. I, I just think that's a, that's a, that's a level of deference that yeah. it's a professional relationship that you have as a journalist, a broadcaster, as whatever else. I, I just don't think that at, at some point you, you ought to be calling them coach unless, uh, unless they're making you do laps after practice. All right. We'll have some recommendations coming up in a little bit, uh, but I wanted you guys to hear uh, again, this is not really sports related, but I thought it would be interesting to our audience who cares about how media works and what happens behind the scenes. I, I thought it would be interesting to sort of get an editor's view on what a newsroom a acts like and how it functions in a time of sort of crisis and, and very serious unfolding in our city on Christmas day with the bombing. So um, you're going to hear a lot about what happened in the immediate aftermath the conversations around editorial content and how Tennessee Lookout decided to cover what they covered, uh, as well as some of the rules of engagement as to naming names, which we had a mistake, of course, in this city with that, that is a big deal. So um, she'll go into all of that. I hope you guys enjoy it. I know it's not super lighthearted, but I think it's really, really interesting and important to see and hear and know about. So uh, we do appreciate you guys hanging out with us on a New Year's Eve. We'll be right back with recommendations. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Editor-in-Chief of Tennessee Lookout, Holly McCall. First of all, Holly, thank you so much for giving us a few minutes of your time today on the show. And I know it's been an unusual week for you and your staff uh, over at the Tennessee Lookout, but let's let's just dive right in and let's start with what Christmas morning was like for you as an editor in chief in charge of a, a newsroom. And you get you see something that happens like a bombing in your city. What are sort of the first few minutes like for you? What, what is it that's going through your head and, and sort of what are your, how do you immediately plan everything? Uh, so the first thing that got, went through my head Christmas morning when I was uncaffeinated and my sweet husband came and woke me up and said, hey, a bomb has gone off in Nashville. It was abject terror. I mean, it's pretty much like everybody. The first thoughts are, oh my God, where was it? What happened? How many people were killed? How many people were hurt? Then I got up, turned on TV coverage. They were ahead of us. You know, typically the Tennessee Lookout, our emphasis is not breaking news. As you know, Braden, like we are more political analysis, policy, we're policy wonks. But when a bomb goes off in the capital city in a historic district, that's all hands on deck. Everybody's going to cover it. So naturally, the first person I talked to on my team was Nate Rao. Uh, if any of your listeners know Nate, you know, he also loves sports, bless his heart. He's a big Cubbies fan. But, you know, Nate and I were on the phone immediately trying to figure out, like, how do we cover it? Can we get there? I mean, by the time we heard about it, they'd already started blocking the scene off. But fortunately, and you cut me off if I'm talking too much, but fortunately, we have got 
we are blessed to work with an incredible team of photojournalists. And two of them, Alex Kent and Ray DiPietro, live downtown. Um, one lives at 7th and Church, one lives at like 5th and Church. And so naturally they were, they heard the bomb as soon as it went off. And instead of fumbling around like I did, looking for a cup of coffee to write myself, the two of them put their shoes on, grabbed their equipment and beat feet to 2nd Avenue. And Alex Kent got an incredible shot standing on Union Street looking south on second of the damage. And then John Partapilo, who um, like he lives in East Nashville, not far away. He didn't, was not able to get into the blast site, but he also got some great shots of the backside, like a fir the first Avenue side that I have not seen anybody else get. So he saw the damage, how it had like blown through the buildings, knocked out windows. He also is the only person I've seen who got pictures of Mayor Cooper interacting with some of the evacuees. So, all right, so you, you kind of scramble and you realize that your Christmas day is going to be very different. <laughs> um, editorially, what are sort of, t explain to some, some you know, listeners out there, editorially then, like you said, it, it's, you guys are not necessarily chasing a, a, an instantaneous beat story, but it is something that you have to cover. So what are the decisions you're making from an editorial standpoint on, all right, how do we cover this? What should we be talking about? What are the rules of engagement for sort of that first 24 to 48 hours on, you know, here's what we need to have for our, our readers, for our audience. So in our case, first of all, I got to give props to, there are a couple of other news outlets, several other news outlets who did a really fantastic job. The Tennessean, look, people like to criticize Gannett and the Tennessean these days. They're the daily paper of record and they had a team on the ground. Ehun Young was down there. She did a great job. I'm trying to think of who else. Adam Tamborin was gathering news. WPLN was on top of it. So in our case, we did, we did give them a lot of follows and share their work. But we also started talking about what can we add to this discourse? Like, what can we add that's not, if the Tennessean and the TV stations and PLN, if they're doing the TikTok, like this happened, this happened, this is the next step. What can we add to the discourse? And so we started planning out, you know, what, what perspective we could add that other people might not have quite as quickly. So Nate started honing in on issues like cybersecurity. You know, it, you know, it has not been determined 100%, but it seems fairly clear at this point that this bomber, was, Anthony Warner, was targeting the AT&T building. It's a nondescript brick building. You know, a lot of people don't even know it's there, but it managed to knock out 911 services up into Kentucky, you know, knocked out millions of people's phone uses. So Nate started working on a story about cybersecurity, which um, the Tennessean has done one since then. We put it out first. It turned out to be a great story. Um, he posted about the fact that that block was the literally the, the base of Nashville's historic uh, preservation movement. That was the first national block on the uh, National Historic Register. And then we found some other trivia. I had somebody from the city of Nashville call and say, hey, by the way, I haven't seen anybody else report this, but you know, there have uh, been these other sort of Christmas, Christmas Eve bizarre incidents, like the Maxwell House Hotel, the original Maxwell House burned down on Christmas Day in 1961. And then there was another fire that, became, that was declared an arson that was on the same block on a Christmas Eve in the 1980s. So we just started looking for different angles that we could add, where we could add something while the rest of the daily news media was covering the breaking news. What, what in your mind, calling on all your experience, what, what in your mind are sort of the do's and don'ts of a situation when you're 
you know, before you realize that there's no more danger, right? Like you've got all these different news organizations. There has to be some level of collaboration because you want to make sure that, that, you know, frankly, people feel safe to, to, to move around in the city. Uh, you know, what are sort of the, I guess, I don't want to say rules of engagement, but sort of gives, what are the guidelines on multiple organizations working together to make sure they're not, you know, creating more fear, but, but the right amount of, sort of information so that people know what's going on? Well, you know, the internet is a beautiful thing, but it's also a very bizarre tool. And so I guess as far as rules of engagement, and this is actually some advice I would give to listeners is the don't trust the Facebook conspiracy theorist. Um, like legitimately stick to reputable news organizations. You can trust, you can trust outlets like the Tennessee and WPLN and the news stations, like you are not going to get steered wrong. You know, there's been a lot of talk about like, why, uh, why weren't news outlets calling this guy a terrorist, for instance, and that is a legal definition. You, Braden, can call him whatever you want. I can call him whatever I want. But if you are a reputable journalistic organization, for instance, you are probably not going to call this guy a terrorist because that's a law enforcement designation. And people got bent out of shape about that. I saw bizarre allegations about, I mean, actually there are some truthful bizarre allegations that have come out now, but you know, people were talking about, is he QAnon? Was he trying to blow up the Batman building? Was there this, was there that? And so honestly, the best thing to do is just stick to the known facts. Um, don't buy into, I mean, and it's really easy to want to be the first person out there, to be the first news outlet out there. But honestly, the FBI, Metro National Police, by the way, that's another subject this morning. But on the day of the bombing, they were out in front. They were giving information. And honestly, just just try to try to use the facts and don't try to break crazy news. That's not true. Make sure of what you're saying. When when is it when do you know that you can put a name on it? You know, because because like, again, you don't want to you've got to be real careful. Right. When you start attaching names to major criminal activity. You've got to be really careful. So what are sort of the, the what's the threshold that you I'm need to clear? So, I'm so glad you brought that up. I really am, because that was another thing, even Christmas Day and the day after news outlets were getting a knock around here saying, oh, CBS News has already used this guy's name. Why won't local news outlets use it? So this is something that probably it doesn't make a lot of sense if you've not studied in journalism, if you haven't come up through J school or been in the business, but you don't quote another source. So I'm sure the CBS guy who put Warner's name out there had a reputable law enforcement source. He covers national security. Of course, he probably had a good source. But typically, as a journalist, you don't quote another source. I mean, another news outlet. You, you go to the prime source, which would be the Metro National Police, uh, the FBI, or the Associated Press. The Associated Press is considered like top line. I should have mentioned them earlier. And so until one of those sources, until one of those sources, Metro Police, FBI, ATF, or Associated Press had confirmed the guy's name, that's why outlets were not using his name. And there, there is a local, I'm not going to call any names, but there was one local news outlet that named the wrong person. There was somebody with the same name. Uh, this outlet tweeted out, it's so-and-so, he owns this business. It, it was not that guy. And I have since heard this gentleman's wife has been getting death threats. I mean, that is legitimately a slander case. And that's why you've got to be cautious. Like, yeah, we all want to be first, but it's better to be right than first. You said sort of um, advance the discourse, right? Is I, I think 
there's a really easy trap to fall into with an event like this where you can, and this applies to sports and everything else. Like when you get a, a story that is so sensational that it's very easy to find yourself just, and for lack of a better phrase, you know, cable news, just replaying the same fire, right? Like, yeah. like you, you, there has to be um, an element of, all right, does this advance the conversation? Does this add to the story? And to your point about what Nate wrote about cyber, wrote about the, the cybersecurity stuff, um, the Second Avenue historic preservation stuff, th these are sort of filling in the gaps around the story. So in, in your words, how would you describe um, in your mind what you decide is, all right, this is just sort of adding to the sensationalism of the coverage and doesn't really advance the story versus, all right, here's where some real information is that we think people need to know because it, it may change the way they think or feel or, or view the whole thing. That is a very thorough and excellent question. Um, you can just say wordy if you want. <laughs> no, 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 it's it's really thorough. I'm just I'm trying to think that through. And we're talking in the morning, and I'm usually not fully caffeinated till about noon. You know, um, I, I'll tell you, I have not actually seen too much highly sensationalist coverage around this event. Yes, cable news networks, uh, or even some local news networks, they've got to play the same footage because there's only so much you have. I have not seen this over sensationalized though. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I feel like I'm really bumbling this one, Braden. But yeah, again, the thing is just to look for, like in our case, we look for what is the Tennessee covering, for instance, they are the daily paper of record. They're going to drive the TikTok, the, you know, minute by minute coverage. And again, like what, what is relevant to people? What would they want to know? For instance, I had uh, somebody locally say, well, you know, that AT&T building downtown, that's the best kept secret in Nashville. And I said, it's really not. I mean, it's not a best kept secret. Like you and I know it because it's been there for 40 or 50 years and we're from Nashville. Joe person who moved here five years ago has no idea what that nondescript brick building is. So you just try to add something that's going to, that's going to be something that people do not know. Uh, they might, you know, people don't know about how the 9-11 boards work or the emergency services board work. Like nobody knows how 9-11 works. So Nate got into that. Like, how is this process controlled? How do they make decisions? And I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm rambling on that one. <laughs> I, I guess it's maybe you probably know it when you see it, right? Like if, if you look at yeah. it and, and if you look at it and you feel a little weird looking at it because you're like, oh, I've already seen that and it's just flamboyant or something, you kind of know it. And then you see a headline that says, like, oh, I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't thought about that, I guess. And I think that's, I, I mean, that, that's a really, really dumbed down version of explaining no, uh, in my head, I guess. No, I mean, it's like, who was it? One of the U.S. senators who said pornography, I know it when I see it. And some of that is having good news judgment. And, you know, we, generally, I think Nashville's got a great crop of reporters who have good news judgment. Nate's got new, good news judgment. Anita Wadwani, who actually has a friend who lived on 2nd Sec Avenue and her acquaintance called and got her first person account that was pretty riveting. Um, I don't think that was sensational, but people want to hear from, like, what was it like when you're lying in your bed and you start hearing this weird digitized voice and then you're hearing friggin Petula Clark's song from 1966 or whatever like what's going through your mind and, you know this one woman said that first she heard gunshots and her son was visiting and he said you know mom I'm really worried about this RV across the street and that's what anyway so right once again babbling but but yeah I mean <laughs> it's a, were, it's a were, podcast babble away 
Well, there were some other outlets that were, you know, as soon as the word came out that, oh, like everybody's online on their LexisNexis, right? Everybody who's got access to LexisNexis is online Friday, Saturday, trying to like figure out what this guy's deal is. Who is he? What's he done? Oh, he's quick claimed these houses. So there was another local outlet that was tweeting about, oh, we've uh, messaged this woman in California who we quit claimed a house to, and now she's deleted her Facebook page. Like, to me, that is getting into sensational and not helpful. Like, yes, everyone wants to know who she is. Why did she get this house? But, you know, it's Christmas Day. She's just found out her name's gotten pulled into this bombing across the country, and, and here's somebody blowing her up on Facebook and her messages. Yeah, that's that's a little sensational to me. Yeah. You guys have um, some really cool stuff up at the lookout now with sort of a look ahead at 2021. You mentioned all the photojournalism, and it's not just about the bombing. You guys have sort of got a look back at 2020, which is a wonderful year for all of us. Um, how do you balance as an editor of sort of the whole picture that you guys want to present to people? How do you balance knowing you need to stay on top of a really high level, top of mind story that everyone cares about versus also you're at the holidays, you're at the end of a terrible year, but you also want to give people something else to do, you know, to distract them. How, how do you sort of editorial balance all of that when you make decisions on what needs to go up on the site? Well, so to be honest, you know, usually the last week of the year is pretty slow. Like most news organizations put their out there, you know, the lives they lived is the New York Times segment on people who have like died, passed away in the prior year. Like everybody does though, what were the big trends of the year, what to look at in 2021. And frankly, we like, we'd planned for that to be our week as well. We're like, hey man, you know, legislative sessions coming back in, let's take it easy. We'll post the photos of the year, people to look at, what were the big trends of the year? What was the most interesting story you worked on? And then, um, you know, the bomb goes those all. So it's not from a news standpoint alone, it is not a bad thing to have fresh content. And that sounds horrible. I mean, nobody's happy about this. And it wasn't the week that we planned or wanted. Like I was really hoping to give like Nate works his tail off all the time, all the time. Like <laughs> the man friends if you're hearing this, Nate Rao is a man obsessed with news. So I wanted him to have a chill week with his family, right? But this happened. And so you just, uh, I'd much rather have fresh news if possible. I would rather it not be a bombing, but I'd much rather put up like new content than just filler. Having said that, I do think it's interesting. When I started going back and looking at the photos of the year, you know, we launched in early May. So we've only been around for eight months and less than a month after we launched, John Partopilo, the aforementioned Jay Party, got these remarkable shots of the vandalism at City Hall um, on May 30th that actually led to identifying one of the vandals. So it's uh, it's been an interesting year, Holly. <laughs> You know, it, uh, yeah, it has been an interesting year. And you know what people keep saying? Oh, my God, it's going to be over. Come on, 2021. I'm just like, you know, like COVID doesn't magically end on January 1st. And, you know, crazy people don't end on January 1st. So, yeah. Well, it, it's, listen, I, I am, I don't think, and, and maybe I'm wrong on this and you can correct me, feel free. I, I don't think, I would love to ask you, hey, what, what should we learn from the coverage of this event over the last week? You've pointed out a couple of small mistakes, obviously naming people and, and sensationalizing things, but it feels like on the whole, the majority of the city has been pretty responsible 
in covering this particular event. And so I would ask, what, what should we learn from this? But it, but it sounds like my, your answer is going to be, well, uh, you know, everyone's done a pretty good job right now. Well, well, yes, but I think that's the lesson because, Braden, you know, you're in media and you've seen this trend over the last few years, over the last four years, to be precise, of fake media. And honestly, most, most news outlets do a pretty good job. Most do. Most reporters do. Most reporters are underpaid. Uh, they're overworked. Um, and that is the lesson to be learned. Like people, these reporters are out busting their tails. Nobody, nobody wants a bomb to go off for many reasons. People, more people could have been hurt. People could have been killed. It did incalculable damage. But also it's Christmas day. This is the most sacred day of our year. And not even just from a Christian standpoint, it is the high point of the year where it's all about family and already this year has been weird. And these reporters, like they get down there as soon as possible to get in there. And I just, I think that's the lesson. Like reporters and news outlets have been demonized over the last four years. And I think that's just a crock. I will end it on that note. Holly McCall, thank you so much. Editor-in-chief of the Tennessee Lookout. Uh, all the great work, great photos from the entire calendar year. If you want to relive 2020, I'd be my guest. Uh, thank, thank you so much for joining us. We do appreciate it. Thanks, Braden. Really appreciate Holly jumping on with us again. Check out the Tennessee Lookout. They do a great job sort of filling in the, the pieces of this story around the edges because, again, they're not a breaking news site per se. But, again, when, when something like this happens, it's all hands on deck. So really appreciate Holly McCall giving us a few minutes of her time. I haven't listened to the interview yet. I'm looking forward to, uh, to it, when it, hits my, uh, when it hits my Spotify here. But, uh, but, I, but I, one thing I did want to kind of toss in there is that there, there's, there's been a little confusion online about bylines, uh, and I, I just would like to say one thing. There's so much effort that goes into what you finally read. I, I will just say, for the work I've been doing at the Times, there is no one person that is, that is doing that. It is often five, six, seven people on a story and then one person assembles all of it. And then there are levels of editors that go on beyond, beyond that. And so there really is just an incredible amount of work that goes into a, to covering something like this. So if you see somebody's name on a story, what you're really seeing is the person out front and there is a whole cast behind them usually supporting kind of what they do. Before we get to recommendations, quick shout out to Jamie McGee who has done an excellent job with you working on this stuff as well. Jamie's uh, Rick, a hell of a reporter. Rick Rojas as well, among others. If there's anybody else you'd like to give shout outs to, again, there's so many different people across so many different organizations from all over the place that have to work together to try to get all this stuff right. And it's very important that it is right. As Holly said in the interview, it is way more important to be right than to be first. And that is exactly. really, really, really important. Rick Rojas is, is the lead New York Times correspondent who's actually based here. He lives in East Nashville. Rojas is a very good journalist. He's also a hell of a writer. And so when 10 different things were kind of all coming in together, he was one of the people kind of making sense of all of it. He's just a, he's just a great journalist. Uh, and so it's a real sort of privilege to kind of work with him. And, and what I will say is that at a national publication, because they often don't have, I mean, Rick lives here. But, but they often don't have correspondence based in, in, in those places. You know, what happens is, is 
they'll send somebody to that place. They'll, they'll bring in this kind of army of, of freelancers to kind of help that person. And it's an incredibly hard job to do to kind of parachute into a situation and then yeah. attempt to make sense out of it for a national audience. And the times has a, a whole bunch of people, Richard Fawcett, who anchored the tornado coverage back here in March that I helped out on was, is another one of those guys that just, incredibly talented and really great at, at taking a bunch of different uh, strings of, of narrative and weaving them into something that is just spectacularly written. And, and there's a whole, and again, there's a whole bunch of editors behind them who are fact-checking and helping yep. make sure everything is buttoned up tight before it ever gets to an audience. Also, a quick reminder, and certainly nothing that you guys did, obviously, in this case, but it is important for people to remember that writers don't write their headlines. <laughs> just, that is 100% true. When sports headlines look completely out of whack or any other type of headline looks completely out of whack, don't go blame the author. Go read the story, and then you can blame the author for what they wrote. Special <laughs> shout-out to the people wait. in my Twitter feed this week who wanted me to change the headlines or write them a different way. <laughs> I don't do that. Right, exactly. Nor does anyone anywhere in any newsroom. It's not unique to you. Uh, I could, we could start our recommendations portion as we, as we send you off, and hopefully everyone has a safe and smart uh, New Year holiday this, this year. Adios 2020. Don't let the, the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. And I, I will say I could start with re recommending, please read all of Steve's work on this story. There's a lot of other great people that have done a great job. Natalie, Allison at the Tennessean, um, the lookouts done great work. Nate Rao wrote a great piece about cybersecurity. There's so much there to the story. Um, so make sure you're following everybody. But again, I'll, I'll do a little plug for you here. You guys are doing really good stuff and go read. If you care about all, all the different angles, there's, you know, again, plenty of stuff to read, but check out Steve's work. I will plug it for you as a, a pseudo recommendation. Um, all right, let's get to a regular recommendation, a, Mine's not really lighthearted, so do you want me to go first? Is yours yeah, lighthearted? Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> My, mine's not really lighthearted, but I do think it, it, it was appropriate for me to see. And I'm not really sure why. I don't know if this says something about me or, or what, but I, I, I stopped dead in my tracks. I started it about, it was about 10 or 12 minutes into the, the, the documentary. And I was I just, I stopped dead in my tracks. I literally stood in my living room and watched for about 15 minutes and then eventually sat down and watched the whole thing. Um, but there is a new documentary on HBO about CC Sabathia and all of the stuff that he went through. It's called Under the Grapefruit Tree. And he was, I mean, the depths of his alcoholism were astounding. And to see how good he was on the mound for all those years while being like he had this routine where he would pitch on Sunday, he'd be wasted Sunday night, blackout Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and then he'd and then he'd cleanse and detox and be sober for every second of Thursday and Friday so that he could pitch on Saturday. It was just, you know, and I think in 2020 where there's a lot of people that are going to be dealing with a lot of mental stuff to hear him sit down and talk about how strong he is today because of what he went through. His family never faltered around him. He did it all for his family to get clean and sober. And I can't imagine doing what he did, which is walking away the day before a playoff game, essentially, and go checking himself into rehab and then watching his team on a, on, in a, in a playoff game. Like I just, it's just, it's a remarkable story, very well done and told much of the story through CC's like he, it's his perspective. He's the one talking and his family is talking. It's nobody else telling the story, but him. And it's really, really powerful stuff about overcoming some demons and why you have some of your demons. And uh, I think it's probably a, a worthy story at the end of a, a really awful year. And, 
um, I, I think people should check it out. I think it was really, really good. I think CeCe's very raw and um, he's a guy I've always enjoyed watching. And, and I think it's really good. I, I will say, I don't think there's one point where Brian Cashman at the very end, the, G, the general manager for the Yankees is like, yeah, we had no idea. And I want to be like, really? You guys had no idea that, that your pitcher would get off the mound and go have a drink in the locker room? Like, that really? Is, <laughs> that is not credible. It, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel right. But you never know. Um, so, again, check it out. Under the Grapefruit Tree, HBO, CC's uh, Battle with Alcoholism, and, and then coming back from it. Really, really good stuff. Uh, my recommendation is a TV show as well. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to watch Ted Lasso yet, you absolutely should uh particularly if there is a uh schitt's creek sized hole uh in your lineup since uh that show had its finale ted lasso is is a jason sudeikis vehicle uh on apple tv plus you know worth subscribing for a month and binging it uh if you don't have it uh you can get and you can get it on sort of any manner of streaming whether or not you have an apple box i think you can get it on roku or you could just do it on your on, on your computer as well sudeikis is this is a pickup from a Premier League ad campaign from like 10 years ago. In, a, in like this 90-second spot, he was an American football coach at a press conference taking over a, a Premier League team. And it was, it, it was a funny set of commercials. I think they did two or three. But they, they went back and made a show out of it. And it's, it's absolutely fantastic, in part because it has, at its very core, a very sweet, uh, sweet nature to it. Some of the criticism of uh, of comedies in sort of this peak TV era has been that the the comedies could be a little mean to to some dark, of, to, dark too yeah and to to some of the characters to each other to you know on the outside you know as a as a storyline it could be as a whole it could be kind of dark this is not this is very light uh, and Sudeikis is great as this kind of like wide eyed American uh, who is a great coach but in a completely different setting and transforms over here what what i didn't realize until i got to the until i got to the the, the end of it and i'm not going to spoil anything here is that they they essentially had taken the the plot of major league and had transformed it into a series uh just just hold the you know the maybe a malevolent owner putting in people who are designed to fail and then they overcome it and it is it is so good it is so good you don't have to be a soccer fan as a matter of fact if you come to it as not a soccer fan like the coach like the main character in it uh you'll get kind of guided along it, it is just and if you are a soccer fan there are so many like great little easter eggs and references it is just it, it is spectacular it's like one of my favorite things that i've watched in 2020 and maybe maybe at the top it's Fantastic. So I, I have not seen it, but I, it is number one on my list, which is why I will allow you to recommend it now twice on the show. But it is so good that I've heard so much and I cannot wait to figure out how to watch it. <laughs> um, but I think the Shit's Creek comparison is really apt. If you've watched it, everything I hear, people like you and everyone who's watched it, that, that there is this wholesome, sort of natural, authentic, genuine nature to all of it and to like the cast feels like it genuinely likes each other and they you know the they're all gearing like again Shit's Creek is all about this collection of characters that truly does care about each other but goes through a transformation in sort of a time of adversity and and while you can have some like it's interesting you can have some like bad language and have it still be wholesome 
which is really strange and weird. Like it's just sort of a, like you said, it's sweet, right? Like there's a sweetness. Right. Very much so. And I'm saying all of this off my experience of Shit's Creek because everyone's compared the two shows and said yeah. they, they come at you in the same way, which is just this very genuine, authentic, real, wholesome, but also very funny. You can still be wholesome and very funny at the same time. And, and that's... If you were a Scrubs fan, uh, Bill Lawrence, who was behind Scrubs, uh, is, is, is one of the guys behind it. So it has, it has some of those sensibilities to it. I, I watched way too much of that show in college. <laughs> way too much. The main doctor is my favorite character. That's, all, I, I, that's my Zach favorite. Zach Braff? No, 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 no. Like the, the boss. Oh, 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 boss. yeah. <laughs> he's he's yeah. my favorite. All right, that does it. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for making a few minutes of your time. I know you've had a really busy week. Check out all of his work, of course, uh, for The Times. A lot of great reporters doing great work. Uh, just, again, appreciate Holly McCall giving us a few minutes as well. Wanted to give you guys something a little different today. We'll be back talking sports soon, I promise, when we come back. Have a safe new year, everybody. Happy new year, depending on when you're listening to this. Steve, where can people find you? I am at Scavendish on Twitter. You can follow me, Braden Gall, at Braden Gall. Thank you all for listening. This has been Lamestream Sports on the 440 Sports Network.